it's our job at NAVAIR to deliver the warfighting capability the fleet needs to win at a cost we can afford. We're driven by a fleet-first mentality and a culture focused on outcomes that matter to the warfighter. But what does that really mean? On today's Airwaves podcast, we welcome a team who can answer that question, not just in words, but through their actions and behaviors. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and joining me today is Colonel Jack Parent, Program Manager for PMA 261, the Heavy Lift Helicopters Program Office. We also welcome to the show Joanna Sokolowski, H-53 In-Service Integrated Product Team Lead, and Lieutenant Colonel Joshua Wirt, CH-53K Military Class Desk. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Michael. We really appreciate you calling us up here so we can talk about this today. It's something that we're all very passionate for here in PMA 261. Glad to be here. So, Colonel, tell me about PMA 261 and what do you deliver to the fleet? Absolutely. PMA 261 is the heavy lift helicopter program office for the Navy and Marine Corps. We're responsible for all the H-53Es, that's both the MH in the Navy and the CH in the Marine Corps, and the new H-53K that is just in production in the uh, for the Marine Corps. All those products come out of the Sikorsky Aircraft uh, Corporation. Um, we also have FMS partners, both with Germany and the 53G and Israel with the CH-53D as our FMS partners. And Israel recently signed a, uh, an agreement to start purchasing 53Ks. They're going to continue to be a heavy lift partner for us in the Navy Marine Corps. The purpose of our program office really is to provide to the warfighter, both here and our FMS customers, heavy lift capability so that they can go execute the nation's business. And sir, tell me about the PMA 261 philosophy or vision. Certainly. Our, uh, our philosophy really is about supporting the warfighter. I tell that to not only all the folks within PMA 261, but all of our contractors as well. The most important thing that we do is get the product to the warfighter, get to them on time, under cost, because that means we can get more product to the warfighter. Also, it's really about support. It's not only just about products, but it's about answering those questions and supporting that warfighter, making sure that uh, they're getting the information and data that they need in order to execute. So going off of what the colonel said, we're constantly focused on how we can support the fleet, how we can make things easier to maintain, more reliable, and ensure that mission execution happens as seamlessly as possible. And that's something that we put in front of our teams every single day to make sure that we constantly, every time we make a change or make decisions, are considering the effect on the fleet. Lieutenant Colonel Wirt, you were a test pilot for the 53E and the K. What did you notice when you came to the program office about the support that they provide the warfighter? Everything we do in the program office matters. And it's fascinating to see when I stepped into the program office, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, I lived a blissful existence as a fleet pilot of, you know, aircraft show up, parts are on the shelves. Sometimes there are not as many on the shelves as we'd like, but we never had to be the ones that were striking the contracts to make that happen. The ones that were engaging with the people who actually build the products. And so stepping into the program office was kind of an eye-opening experience to see this is where that happens. So what does it mean to focus on outcomes that matter to the warfighter? And what does that look like in your program office on a daily basis? To make that happen, it doesn't just happen. Communication is key, especially in a telework environment. It's been challenging to make sure everybody who needs to know something knows it. But you know, the basics that I learned as a young lieutenant, you know, what do I know? Who needs to know? Have I told them? Those still apply. 
and we need to practice that on a daily basis, whether we're in the same building together and can just walk down to another person's cube or if we're you know, in telework and you have to pick up the phone or set up a conference. Relationships absolutely define the success, and it's, it's key that we engage with both our teammates in the program office and our counterparts in industry on that. And that's not just a call you when I need you kind of thing. It's you know, engaging regularly, intentionally, deliberately, building those relationships where I know what's going on in my counterpart's life and not just professionally. So when we get to a point where we need to execute rapidly, key example from the recent past where we had the, uh, there's an H60 that needed to be recovered off of a mountainside. VMX1 was out in 29 Palms executing IOTNE. They got the call from the safety center. I had the relationship existing with VMX1's dead OIC. He was my instructor way back when I was a young lieutenant in the squadron. He picked up the phone and said, hey, we need to do this. It's outside of my flight clearance envelope. What can you do for me? I said, I'll make some calls. And I had the relationships with the engineering, with the test team, with my counterparts in the H-60 program office. And it was just inspiring to see those people come together to come up with the procedures, to look at the data that we had on hand and be able to clear that aircraft within a week of getting that request to go do something that the 53K was frankly designed to do, but maybe wasn't, well, it was ready for it. We just hadn't worked through the data to clear it to do that. So a good example of having those existing relationships that let us provide a capability to the fleet that they needed that had a real true impact for them. And as you mentioned, good communication is vital to building those relationships. Colonel Perrin, why is there no such thing as over-communication? You know, this is one of the things that uh, I brought into the program office, and I have believed basically my whole career is about communication. And communication isn't just about an individual speaking. It's about that individual speaking, people listening, people understanding, and giving feedback to that person that's communicating. It seems like a real basic thing that you do. However, it is extremely difficult because we all have preconceived notions. We have a propensity not to listen in all actuality. In most communications, you listen to about the first two or three sentences, and then you are trying to formulate in your mind, instead of listening, the answer that you want to give. So communicating and over-communicating is really important. I also really believe in frank communications, which is saying exactly what you mean, exactly the way you mean it, so that it can be very clear as to what is going into that. I know that this is one of the things that at times can be hard for people because uh, communicating is difficult. And I think, uh, Joanna, with your team, you have a lot of communication that goes on there and a lot of things you have to work through. What are some of the things that you've seen in communicating and the application of that over-communication? Yeah, absolutely, sir. I I think we definitely see that we're in a very dynamic and fast-paced environment. And when people feel like, not only from our level, but from leadership, that there is open communication and frankness, I think people feel more like a unified team. And they feel like we are all in one team, one fight, working together. And it also makes people more likely to give us their status, their risk areas, the opportunities that they see. And so fostering that type of culture 
is really important so that we continue to get that from our team members and they feel comfortable letting us know, you know, the alligators that they see, you know, that maybe are a little bit further out from the boat. And there's no one single person who can know everything about the program. And so we depend on having the experts on our team telling us what they're concerned about or the opportunities that they see or ways that we can collaborate better or, you know, how we can learn from other programs that they've worked on. So fostering that culture has been, you know, so important to keeping us moving forward. So I guess one thing to add on to that for communication, one of the most valuable members of my team, he's our one of our airworthiness product developers, and he is on site with the fleet. And that wasn't a decision that I made. He was there when I got here. But boy, have I seen the value of having him in person at VMX1. So when they've got a question about a flight clearance that came out, or hey, why are we waiting on this? Or how do I read this flight clearance that just came to me? He's there and can answer that question. He's got their trust. He's a retired gunnery sergeant. He's a retired 53 crew chief. So he's got that inherent relationship that already exists. But being present, being able to engage with the fleet, he's absolutely my eyes and ears down in VMX1 and one of the primary avenues of communication between them and me. So I'd like to talk a bit more about the value of relationships. Lieutenant Colonel Wharton, your story earlier, you shared about a relationship that you had that allowed you to respond rapidly to a fleet need. How do you establish and maintain good relationships with teammates and customers? And Joanna, how do good relationships help you to deliver capability and outcomes that matter faster? So there's a lot of ways that that we build relationships. I think, like the colonel mentioned before, appreciating the knowledge and skills and abilities of our team members, and that means listening. So when we have a lot of people who have been doing what they're doing for a long time and who have expertise, we listen to those people and we make sure that you know they understand that we are listening and we are taking what they are saying and you know working through solutions. I think that's one big piece. Something I say a lot is establishing ownership and accountability, empowering our teams to execute their tasking, making sure everybody understands you know, what their tasking is, and then holding the team accountable for meeting those outcomes, I think it goes a long way with our team and kind of understanding how we're executing. I would say creating a culture of planning and replanning versus talking about failure. I think anybody that's worked on a program or in an IPT understands that we plan and then we replan and then we replan the replan because things happen a lot of times that are out of our control. And so focusing on, you know, okay, that thing didn't work. How do we replan it? How do we move forward? What can we do? You know, how do we solve the problem? You know, versus harping on what didn't work. I think is a big one. I think that goes a long way with kind of fostering that culture of growing your team. A lot of times you'll hear people say, that's how we always have done that. And in our office, you know, we're very open to creative solutions. We had one recently in some of our contracting where we're kind of bringing our Echo and Kilo teams together now and combining our contracting efforts together, you know, to the benefit of the program. So we always encourage how can we be more creative in what we're doing? And I think people really are open to that. And that kind of fosters really good relationships because they're not fearful of bringing forward ideas. And then for me, following through on our commitments, you know, when our our leadership team says they're going to do something, following up on that, I think that goes a long way with our teams towards making them feel like, you know, we care, making them feel like they're a part of the solutions that we create. 
I think our leadership team at PMA 261 is really good on listening and then following through on what we say that we're going to do and how we're going to change the processes that we have. We do a lot of different things to build and sustain the relationships with our teams. I was just going to add in that what I've tried to do as a program manager, right, is communicate up and out very clearly of where we are and where we're standing and what we're doing. But I also give, if you will, a North Star down and in very much so to the team so that people like Joanna and uh, and Colonel Wirt here can execute. And I don't do that by telling them, you know, the specifics of what to do. I give them that mountain to go attack. I give them that hill to go climb. And then let all those wildly talented people that we have within Nav Air go do those things. And then I check back in, get an update, and then I'm communicating up and out again, repeatedly, often, frankly, to my leadership, to the community in general, so that they can understand what direction they're going. I think that's also really important when you're talking about communication, you're talking about how to make the uh, program office work really well, is to empower people to go do those things. And as always, it's not only just executing the contract, but it's, hey, how does this get to supporting the fleet? How does it help that corporal or lance corporal or sergeant on the flight line trying to fix that plane or get that aircraft up or execute his mission? Joanna, earlier you mentioned that we need to stop focusing on failures. But what can we learn from our failures? And Lieutenant Colonel Wirt, how do we use these learnings to get better? I think the best learned lessons in life are the ones that come from our failures. Certainly the painful memories are the ones that stick the firmest for me. I know this program has had a bunch of challenges getting to where it is right now, and it's taken people working through those. Just a couple of technical examples, because the technical side of the program is really my domain. We had an issue with exhaust gas reingestion several years ago, and the program responded aggressively. We realized that the modeling that we had wasn't adequate to attack the problem, and so I spent many hours in a hover in a 53K collecting the test data that they needed to feed the models, and then the team took that data. They built a design solution, both hardware and software, on the aircraft, fielded it, and we're not worried about exhaust gas reingestion on this program anymore. We built off of that because as I came to the program office, we had a few other technical issues that started to show their heads. The brake system is another one where there had been a redesign effort in progress. That got fielded to the test team in March of 2020, and we were supposed to start IOT&E, Initial Operational Test Evaluation, in the fall of 2020. So the brakes that we fielded did not meet the performance requirements that the fleet had. And we, time was short, so we took that Tiger Team mentality that we had for the exhaust gas reingestion program, put it into attacking the brake problem. So in our podcast today, we've talked a lot about problem solving and finding ways to get better. Colonel Perrin, give us a few examples of successes in your program office. The team has done a, a great job in the you know, almost four years that I've been here as a program manager at PMA 261 in attacking problems, you know, some of those big problems that we've had that we've had to come over is is our execution of the program. And when I got here, we were uh, not quite executing as well as we needed to be. So we had to replan our execution, particularly in the flight test and the uh, solving of flight test issues, i.e. the, you know, the deficiencies that we found and, and getting those fixes engineered and put back into the aircraft to validate them. And so we, uh, we broke out, got with uh, the industry, our industry partners, 
and uh, you know collaborate together and work through all of those issues, prioritize them, and executed and developed a plan that we actually, I said, hey, I don't want a plan that is a challenge plan. I don't want a plan that gives you a bunch of margin. I want a plan that you're going to execute to. And what I tell the team often and, and still today is, hey, make a plan and execute to your plan. Stay on plan, right? It'd be great if you got ahead of plan. It's never acceptable. Get behind plan execute to your plan and we've demonstrated we're able to do that right and and that's one of the, been one of the huge successes in the program at a strategic level to be able to lay out what we're going to do and then execute to that i find that to be one of the driving forces in success in any program office is understanding that but you can't always do that there's always issues that you come up against that you have to work through but again with those frank communications getting with industry with those relationships that you develop with industry with the fleet with the TICOM, all the people within the nae really help you build upon the successes that you have and work through the issues that you have joanna how will your team sustain and build on these successes so i think we learn every test every contract every procurement we learn how to do things better especially as we start to transition the 53 kilo from production to sustainment. There's a lot of lessons that we've learned in development and in test and in our processes that we're gonna roll forward and move forward you know, to help us continue to be successful in sustaining the aircraft. So we, we have learned quite a bit from you know, the, the activities that we've been through on the 53 kilo. And so the team is constantly looking for ways that we can improve and continue to build on those successes and work with our industry partners, you know, to be as efficient as we possibly can to get capability to the fleet. So that's very important to us. And, you know, we're constantly making the processes better. Why is it so important that we don't do it the way we've always done it? Personally, I think it's a closed-minded mindset. I think it blocks out a lot of creativity. I think it blocks out learning from other programs and from other experience. We have a lot of people that have come from a whole variety of backgrounds, from the fleet, from other program offices, from industry. You know, the, we run the gamut of experience and perspective, and you kind of block all of that out when you say, well, we do it this way, and that's the only way we're going to do it, and that's the only way we're ever going to do it. And you're just not, you know, effectively leveraging all of that experience. From my perspective, I always want a path to yes. So find me a path to yes. If it's creative, if it needs funding, if it needs a policy to be changed, great. We can talk through how we can make those things happen. But I don't think, you know, I or our leadership team wants our team members to filter out their ideas. Let us tackle what the barriers are that are preventing us from getting to yes. But, you know, we, we absolutely don't want to filter out all those good ideas by, you know, kind of pigeonholing us into one, one way of doing things. On that same note, as we look and try and find fresh and innovative ways to do things, it's important to be looking at the way we've always done things. Often there's a, a reason why we've done them that way. So we need to ask not, hey, let's just do this because this is how it's always been done. Why is this what we do? How can we take those lessons from the past and apply them to the future? Maybe there is a better way we can leverage a new tool or new technology or a new team construct to apply the wisdom of the past and find a, a newer and faster way to do things and still get the same 
you know, level of safety, you know, engineering and, and flight test, a lot of our lessons are written in blood and we want to make sure we keep those lessons, carry them forward, but at the same time, don't stifle innovation by just resting on the, the processes that have been developed, uh, understanding the why behind those before we just blindly go a different direction. As a program manager, both of those things really make me smile a great deal because I see my teammates here talking about the things that are really, really important to me, really, really important to how I think that we execute. And it reminds me why PMA 261 has been and is successful. Because you have people that not only are looking to the new and innovative and different ways of doing it, but you have that same person and the same teammates that are sitting there saying, hey, Yep, understand, want to do something better, want to improve. However, let's make sure that we're not making the same mistake that we made in the past. We've had to adjust, especially during the pandemic, of where we, of how we execute. Before the pandemic, telework was not really looked upon very favorably. And now our program office has gone from 190 seats down to about 75. We hotel now. So the idea of video calls, the idea of teams meetings, the idea of collaborative shared spaces has all been new. And what makes me very proud of the program office is that we've risen to that challenge of jumping into things that we don't know anything about. No one knew anything about teams until the pandemic. We never used teams ever. So that adaptability and looking for new innovative ways is not only just in how we're solving problems, but how we're communicating, how we're interacting with one another, and how we are efficiently using all the resources that we have within our spaces. One of the things that we've done in PMA 261 is instead of expanding the, uh, you know, the program office as we are transitioning 53K into the fleet and having a 53K in-service team or adding more people for that, what we did is we said, hey, wait a minute, we already have experts in, the, in our program office that deal with the fleet and deal with that in-service support. We leverage those. So Joanna, as the in-service IPT lead, her and her team are responsible for all heavy lift in all fleet squadrons, whether it's an E, an MH, a CH, a K. She has it all. Her and her team have it all, and they coordinate all of that together and that has made us more cost efficient because I didn't have to add other people to be able to do that. And I think that's really was very good for the program office and because we get more product out of that then. We get more product out of the dollar that we've been given. And that, I think, is really, really important because then the fleet gets more. And that's what we're all focused on is support to the fleet. So what advice would you give to teams facing similar challenges and opportunities? First of all, nothing is ever as bad or as good as it seems. Ever. I've had people come in and we are real open on communication. When someone finds some issue, the first thing I want them to do is come tell me about it. Because A, that builds my essay so I can build my leadership's essay, which is important, right? Not to go complaining to them or to look for solutions from them. And I'm not looking for them to have solutions, but that communication of what is going on is really important, especially if it's going to be something that has a big impact on the fleet. The second thing is take a deep breath and work through the problem right? Every, something happens all the time, every day, right? You got to just take it, work through that problem, work through those issues, dig down, find that root cause, right? Put in a corrective action and we'll move on, right? Nothing is going to stop us if you don't give up, 
right? If you don't give in to the temptation of this is so big, it's, it's bigger than what I can do. It's never bigger than what we can do, right? And the, and the program office team has always gathered that on, taken that on board, and we've done an excellent job, whether it's exhaust gas reingestion. I remember in the first days when that was coming out, we are briefing that up, there were a lot of people above us outside the program office like, oh, you guys are done. You're, we, we need to scrap, scrap the program. We're done. We need to cancel the program. You guys will never solve that. And we did. We not only solved it, but we don't even think about it anymore in the program. It's only been about two and a half years since it was an issue. And now we don't even think about it. No one even mentions it anymore because we've solved it. As a program office, you've found ways to motivate positive behaviors. You've challenged teams to get real and get better to drive outcomes that matter to the fleet. As we wrap up the podcast today, what can other program offices do to yield similar results? For me, and everybody in every program office is different, but I'll tell you what I think has worked for me. Number one, empower your people. You have tremendously talented people all the way up and down, not just your high grades, but every single person that works in your program office has a tremendous talent within them. Maximize that. The second thing is don't ever stop. Don't ever quit. Don't ever slow down. Just keep going. Third, communicate, right? I I see the role of a PM is to communicate both up and down. My biggest job is communicate up and out because I want to keep my boss, the PEO, informed so he can keep his boss, the MDA, informed of the execution of the program and, and talk to those outside agencies associated with it while also making sure that you're understanding what's executing within your program office, but you're empowering those people to drive the program office to those solutions and that those goals that you have laid out for them and clearly laying out those goals. Every January, we talk about what are our goals for each of the level one IPTs that year and what you're going to do, what we want to accomplish, what are the big bones and what are the little things you're going to do? What's the, what's the milestones and what are the inch steps? Doing those things, I think, really, really helps you focus the entire program office on the direction you want to go, the direction you need it to go. And that's really important. And I think that's what makes success, has made success within PMA 261. I'll jump on that as well. I said it before, but it's the basics, right? The things that we've learned from the get-go, leading by example, doing what you expect your people to do and letting them see you do that. Maintaining that positive attitude. If the boss is complaining, if the boss is not confident that the team can execute, that's infectious and that's going to negatively affect the team. But conversely, if the boss can recognize what people are doing and the boss can project the, the positivity that, hey, this team can do it, look at what you've done moving forward, that attitude is infectious as well. And then, like we've said before, communications and relationships are key. Even in telework, when we're all communicating from our own our basement or wherever, we're still people, we're still interacting with each other, and relationship is what drives the engine that gets us to success. I would say also keeping the fleet in the focus of the teams, 
I think having touch points with the fleet, having opportunities to hear what the fleet's concerned about or how things that we did positively affected the fleet. We have regular reliability control board meetings and type model series calls with the fleet. I think for our team, it's exceptionally helpful to have those engagements and those interactions so that our team understands you know, how their work is directing, affecting the fleet. And that has a lot of positive reaction from our teams. And so as the in-service lead, you know, we're constantly trying to provide more touch points so that people don't lose sight of why we're here and what we're doing and you know, what we're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. It is all about starting with the fleet. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing the story of PMA 261. You've given us so many amazing examples of behaviors for a successful organization. There's empowerment, learning, growing together, communication, relationships, and the list goes on and on. Of course, you can hear more examples of behaviors for a winning culture by tuning into the Airwaves podcast on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.